Hey, it's Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. And if you're here, you probably already know that we started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And we just wanted to take a moment to say thank you and let you know how much we appreciate you being part of the Ultra Running Guys community because we know there are a million other ways you could choose to spend this time. We love hearing from you. We're always trying to improve. So if you have guest suggestions or feedback, hit us up through social media or reach out to us at theultrarunningguys at gmail.com. And again, thanks for plugging in. And with that, enjoy the episode. And remember, when in doubt, just show up. There's been times during races where we'll run into people. It's like, I'm not going to finish. And I'm, and I'm at the same point in the race that they are at the same time. I'm like, listen, we got 30 hours to go 30 miles. You can crawl there now. It's a mile per hour average. People don't think about it. They just think how tired they are or how sore their feet are, that they have a blister or that you know i don't want to hear them whine about boosters <laughs> we can go over that we can get into that and hey, welcome back to the ultra running guys you got jeremy reynolds and jeff winchester of the ultra running guys and the reason that we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey and so if you are tuning in thank you so much we appreciate you more than you know and if you like what you're hearing it's the same old ask if you can share with your friends give us the review give us a star rating all that good stuff but if you have been listening you know we love to get right to the guest so here is the deal when we first met our previous guest dr brandon ostrander he mentioned that he worked with a couple guys here from Wilmington that ran 200 milers. And we know a lot of the local running community, but had not come across them. So we began to check them out and it turns out they are twin brothers and they have five 200 mile race attempts under their belt with four finishes. Who doesn't? Which is pretty epic, but that's not the mind blowing part because as we were preparing for this podcast, it came out that when they signed up for their first 200, they had never raced a running race and anything further than a 5k and to this day they've never attempted an ultra shorter than the 200 mile distance and the longest consecutive training run to date was a mere 18 miles so the big questions that we're setting out to answer tonight are how have they done it and if they can do it what does that mean for the rest of us who are simply overwhelmed by the thought of tackling a 200 mile event so stick around to see what we find out. And with that, please welcome to the show, Paul and Matt Murray. How are you guys doing? Good. How are y'all? We're, Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So here, here's the deal. For anybody that, that can't see, um, they're twins. They're wearing the same clothes. And when we logged on, they were sitting exactly the same. So took us a second to, to figure out who we were talking to. But... Oh, do not lie. I wrote down on my piece of paper <laughs> who is at the top of my screen and who's at the bottom so I could keep it straight. But we are really excited to pick your brain because it's not very often that you come across somebody. I mean, one, it's not very often that you come across somebody who's doing 200-mile distance, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of in a realm already. But you even said kind of pre-discussion that, hey, we're not part of run groups. We're not big in the running community, but this is something we like to do. We mentioned some things in the intro that probably made some people's eyebrows raise. First question, how does somebody that's not really into long distance running decide to take on a 200 mile race? You want to take this one, Paul, or you want me to do this? Sure. Yeah, I'll tackle it. So, um, 
I actually used to be like really nervous about doing any sort of competitions or anything. We did CrossFit for a long time and I'd get asked to do competitions and it's, I wouldn't sign up for any because I was, I, I knew I wouldn't win or anything like that. And then I, I met some people and they got me to do like a powerlifting competition just to do it. And so that, you know, that led to them going, Hey, you want to do a sprint try? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll do a sprint try. Did a couple of powerlifting meets, a couple of sprint tries. And then the same people were like, Hey, you want to do a 200? I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do a 200. Never heard anything about it. This was 2017. Didn't hear anything about it until a couple, like two or three months before the race where they had actually signed up and been training for it. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I said I would do it, but I, I know for a fact, I don't have enough time to get ready this time. So they went out and they attempted the Bigfoot. I think they got like 120 miles the first time, but the pictures and stories from the race sounded like a hell of an adventure and just the challenge and everything sounded awesome. So like I saw the pictures of like, all right, well, I'm going to sign up for one next year. It was talked about, they were like, oh, well, go sign up for the Tahoe if you can. So we did and yeah, the rest is kind of history at that point. Uh, also, I, when I was going to sign up, a, a buddy of mine was like, you couldn't do a 200-mile race. I was, I was like, oh, yeah, well, watch me. So I guess that's kind of how that led to that. Me, it was a little different. I uh, When he signed up for the sprint try, I was like, why would you do that? That sounds stupid. You want to do cardio for two hours? Like at the time, I was just lifting weights. And then I was like, that's dumb. But then I used to go swimming with him and when we hit the race distance, I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll, I'll do this. And then, um, the 200 thing, I was like, that sounds insane. I'm like, you're walking to Raleigh back. And then when, when our buddy was like, yeah, you guys couldn't do that. I was like, no, no, I can do this. I'll, I'll sign up now. Like basically just to try and prove him wrong. I mean, he was right the first time. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, he was right the first time, but yeah, that didn't go well. So everybody's listening right now, and they're going sprint try two hundred mile. And you guys even just talked about it, like, oh yeah, somebody said you should do two hundred miler. It said do a two hundred miler, and we signed up. And somebody said he couldn't, and we said screw that, we can't. Why did you think you could do it? A lot of people would be like, whoa, I'd have to do the steps in between, like right. Why was that even an option at that point? You guys could correct me. Maybe there's longer ones. I mean, I don't know. It seems like 200 is like the long distance for these kinds of races. So I was like, well, at least this seems like an adventure. A lot of the 100s, 50s, like that's a day, maybe. But this is an adventure. And like, if I'm going to go try to do a really long race, why not try a like as long as they get kind of thing. I mean, I, you know, that was five years ago and I've done all these races now. And I, I can't tell you why I thought it's just like, I'd always like, whether it's powerlifting meets or any of that stuff, I'd always trained hard. And like, obviously people were able to do it. So I figured, well, if I worked my ass off and it was a little egg trained enough stuff. and yeah yeah was, you know like, it's ignorance like, involved yeah when you you just go from 5k to 200 you just i remember when we were talking about which one to sign up for like we go i, I messaged the person I'm like uh, yeah, which one's the easiest like well, out of the three 200 yeah. like what 
I said, yeah, which, which one's the easiest? <laughs> like, it's 200 miles, and they're all, each one of the ones of Destination Trail runs, they're all difficult in their own way. But, you know, having never actually done any racing, it's just like, oh, you know, which one is the one we most likely could finish? That, and when I signed up, I looked at, you know, how much time you had versus how the distance. And I started doing some math. I'm like, oh, you know, you only have to average like 2.3 miles an hour, 2.1. I'm like, we walk on our like naturally fast walkers. So we, our regular stride pace is over three and a half. I'm like, oh, this is, we can finish this all day. Yeah, I mean, you do this all day, sleep four hours a night. Oh, it's good. Nothing. You're good. And you'll still have like four hours left. <laughs> That is what I thought the conversation was like. I imagine when you when we read your information, you're sitting around with some friends. You may or may not be at a bar in this conversation. Really don't know. <laughs> they're telling you about this adventure. They're going to do this race. They're describing it to you, and they're and you're like, I could walk that myself. I'll be able to sleep at night and everything. This is a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. Especially training at a at sea level. You're like, oh, what's a hill? It's it's fine. There's like a hill downtown down by the river it's so, fine so a point of clarification and this is where i actually think this really played to your guys's benefit but <laughs> when, when you heard this did you think about it as a run or just like oh this no. is a five-day hike <laughs> well i thought like yes i did yeah i knew going in like i'm not one of those people like a run forever kind of thing so like very like mathematical person I'm like well if I just move at this pace and this is a manageable pace, I was naive to the whole stopping at aid stations, fixing your feet, getting all the, getting your supplies together and how long it starts to take, even though you don't realize it to get out of an aid station. But yeah, mathematically I was like, Oh yeah, that's nothing. Right. But here's the thing is I think a lot of times, so, you know, call it even a 50 K. People are like we, we talk about all the time. Somebody pictures like running in gym where you had to go like run a mile as fast as you could, right? And they're like, How how would you run 30 miles? And you're like, Well, you, you don't. I mean, it's like kind of walk run, you go out there and it's slower than you would think. And then it's like, okay, well, how, how about a hundred? And it's the same kind of thing. It's like, well, it's actually probably quite a bit of walking and a lot of eating and different things, right? But but even I think ultra runners that have been wrecked at mile 50 right. are going, Oh my gosh, I was wrecked at mile 50. How would I ever do 200? But I feel like there's a part of you guys that like just skipped right over that. That wasn't a concern because it was like you went straight to the math. It was completely unknown. Right. It was like, oh, I don't have to do what I did in a 50. It was just like, sure, I can walk for three miles an hour at, you know, for five days if I had to with some rest in between. And I actually think the fact that you tried it, we're going to talk about here in a second, kind of the first attempt. But my guess is that really played into the benefit. There's a part of me that wonders if it would have changed your mind or your approach, if you would have run a 50 K or, and I know we'll talk about some of your training, but gone out and try to run. And that's what most of us do is like, how fast can I finish a 50 K or 50 miler versus something like a um, hundred miler? I'm guessing you don't go off the gate going, how fast is, am I going to do this? I mean, for me, yeah, I've always just wanted to like, I've thought about like, Oh man, I would love to run a 200. But then once I get there at that point, my goal is to just complete it. We'll get into it on the second attempt, but I like there. There's been times during races where we'll run into people. It's like I'm not going to finish, and I'm and I'm at the same point in the race that they are at the same time. I'm like, listen, 
we got 30 hours to go 30 miles. You can crawl there now. It's a mile per hour average. People don't think about it. They just think how tired they are or how sore their feet are, that they have a blister or that, you know. I don't want to hear them whine about blisters. We can go over that. We can get into that. Yeah, we will. If I had to sum it up, though, I'd almost say you guys approached it more realistically. Like you said, it's not realistic to go, oh, I can't finish 30 miles in 30 hours. Right. That's well, not realistic, he, but, but that's the way you feel. And when you've been wrecked and you put yourself mentally, you're like, oh, I can't do it. I'm so tired. You can't worry about something you don't know up until, you know, that first Tahoe, anything I'd ever pushed myself to do, like I, I've always finished. It may not always be pretty, but ever since then, I've always tried to just, you just put your head down and go and you just, you can't. The minute you give yourself an option or you start thinking about how bad things are, that's when, like, it just gets worse. I mean, every, you guys know ultra running. There's always a low point in a race. Always. Right. problem with 200s is when you're not sleeping, those low points just get lower as you go, especially at night. Not, like, early in the night. It's, like, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes, like, right before the sun starts to come up. It's always brutal. Yeah, we experienced that. It's it's the window between probably like three to five is the hard yeah. time. Yeah. Because once it starts, right before, starts to break, you're like, yes. But until then, it's dark and it's depressing. Yeah. You're on yeah, a trail treadmill because yes. your light yes. is only so far and every tree looks about the same. <laughs> Let's do 2018. Yeah. So we're going to walk through at, at, at least your first few races, right? Um, and we've got lots of questions. But so the, let's talk about the first one. Tahoe. 2018 to so the Tahoe 200 zero experience zero experience from, from the time you said hey we're gonna do this thing right so we did we already talked about in the intro you weren't doing 70 80 mile weeks the way we hear a lot right so what did you do to prepare you said okay we're gonna do this thing we've got the time like what did training look like for that first Tahoe 200 so we were working with a friend and he was programming our running and we had like one long run a week it was like an hour and a half on a saturday but the rest of the time it was a lot of as i remembered it was a lot of like intervals but they would be like you know 40 minutes of like one on two off like that ratio or so we were doing a lot of sprints at the same time we were still lifting heavy for most of it and we trained Time-wise, we had enough time for training. We trained from around this time of year, October, November, all the way up until back then. The Tahoe was in September. We trained for a long time for it, but we kind of had to because we honestly weren't running at all before that. But up until then, I had never even run on a trail or tra training for that. That like I, I, I didn't really have any desire to be out in the woods. It was like we're not huge Pete nature guys. So <laughs> looking back now, training for it, it was good. It was just not enough. We had a couple night sessions that sort of, you know, I guess if you've never done night stuff going into something like that, I recommend it. I, now we don't do any night stuff cause I hate night trainings. Like I, I, I don't mind. I like them during the race, but it's like, I don't need to send myself to that dark place during training. I'll, I know what it's like. And I know how I react. So I'm fine with it. But like we, um, kind of what he said, like he, he 
said what we were doing. Uh, I just, it just wasn't enough compared to what I know I kind of need to do now. It was good. Just our legs and stuff weren't conditioned enough to complete that race that year. And so I said in the intro that, you know, the, the longest even run to date, kind of run without stopping consecutive running 18 miles. But he even just mentioned did some, some longer sessions, did some night sessions. I'm guessing there were some extended kind of hikes and things like that. Is that a true statement for that first one or did those come in later? Yeah. Yeah. There was like, we did, did that first one was we hiked from North college road down to Curry beach. It was like a 26 mile hike. Our coach had us do that in the middle of the night. Cause he was curious how we were going to handle night stuff. It's really weird when you get to a town with beach bars and, and you get there right as the drunk people let out and you're there in full hiking gear and you've got like water bladders and and uh, you got trekking, trekking poles. Back then, I didn't even know how to use them. I'm pretty sure I still had the caps on them. It's so great. But the thing that it illustrates to me and for everybody listening is that there's more than one way to train, right? So again, I think a lot of times you think, but you've got to be running, like running, high mileage weeks, but we've heard from different people. We've seen how well like Tara has done from going from a through hiker to running. But she was an intentional hiker. Right. That's what she did. I mean, that's true. You're right. So you, you know that you, your friend challenged you to take on this race. Um, It kind of got to a little bit of an ego thing for you from what it sounded like, because you got challenged that you were told something you couldn't do. And you're like, no, I can do this. Um, Mm -hmm. And you get to the Tahoe 2018 and you are at the starting line. You have trained as much as you have trained, regardless of what that looks like. You are around, I don't know, a couple hundred other people. It's what, 150 people, I think, that run this race. 250. 250. 250 other runners all decked out in their hydration gear, their hiking poles and everything. What in the world is going through your mind? Well, I don't know how much you know about the Tahoe 200. So when you start the original course, which they had a fire in 2020. So they haven't run the full course since. So we're lucky we got to do that. But oddly enough, 2018 was the first year and only year they ran the race in reverse, which I'll tell you, it was way harder. We didn't finish. And I looking back on the sections that we would have had to do, it would, it would have just been way worse, but standing at that starting line, looking up, you, you look and you're just like, there's people that train at sea level. You look up and you go, oh, what the fuck? Because you're looking up. <laughs> you have to, if, if you don't know where the course is, you get there and you look up and it's just straight uphill. And you're like, am I going up that? <laughs> and they have like this, you can see where the ski lift would normally go. And you're just like looking and you're just like looking up like, how am I going to climb up that thing? Luckily, you slalom around it, but it was still a three miles long straight climbing to start the race. In the first year, it was just like, oh my God, this is brutal. Little, it was a little humbling. It was funny because we'd run in all these people. Like for us, we weren't ultra runners. And at the time, like you'd be on trail, they'd, everybody'd be talking about like different races they had done. And I was like, so what are you guys watching on Netflix right now? <laughs> They're like, yeah, what do you do for fun? Besides, can we talk about something that isn't this right now? Like yeah, while well, I'm suffering during this race, can we talk about something that's not race related? 
anything, anything that that is not about running or hiking or trails. You, you guys have to have other hobbies. Um, but it, it's funny also because we got there, and you know it's different when you go to race pickup and you're picking up your packet and everything. You go, they ask you what shirt you want, what size you want. I'm like, uh, at the time, like I, I slimmed down a lot. I was like, I'll take a medium, and they. The woman goes to hand me a medium. The other one goes, no, no, give him a large. He's got shoulders. <laughs> just like, well, like you, you're talking to people in line about like races you've done. They're like, oh, what's the longest race you've done? Well, oh, I did a 5K at the end of a sprint try. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm hoping to finish. Oh, you'll finish. You'll finish. And then you run into them 100 miles later. Oh, I didn't think you'd make it this far. <laughs> but they were like, it's at the time it re- that really bothered me. Like that people would do that. But and then I realized that the community is just so encouraging and they just, they want to see you finish. But there's a pretty ridiculous thing. They go, oh yeah, I, I just did a 5K. It's cool. I did that once. It's cool. I, I got it. <laughs> I just recently did a hundred miler myself and just finished it. And um, I've done a few of them and I'm interested in doing a 200 miler. And I've mentioned on a couple other shows that I, I'm considering doing one but it scares the crap out of me. And I think there is a luxury that you have when you are not familiar with, with the level of pain that you can maybe experience in some races that when you're considering it, doing this, you, you're like hanging out with friends or whatever it is. Like you said, you're at a gym then and you get challenged that you're going to be like, I think I can do that because you will do the black and white calculations as opposed to the emotional calculation and uh, the pain and the nuance of details that you are going to go through that I, I know I would go through. I like the emotional calculation. That's a good term. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's emotion going, I don't know, man. Right. It's an emotional calculation that that runners who have run other ultra distances who, who are nervous about doing a 200 miler are hesitant because like you said, when you get to the 50 mile mark, you get punched in the face. You're like, how can I go to a hundred? Good Lord. How can I make it to 200? So speaking of the punch in the face, you just talked about like, okay, at the start, we have this three mile climb. It's brutal. Like, how is this going to happen? You make it. But was there a moment, so reality versus expectations, right? Expectations like, hey, going to do this thing, train at sea level, you know. I got this. Did some did some long sessions, but a lot of lifting and interval type stuff. Was there a moment in that race, kind of that punch in the face moment of like, poof, okay. What the? Like, yeah, welcome to, welcome to reality. Um, this is going to be. You want me to go first or you want to go first for that one? Because you made it further than me, but I had so there was- issues. Yeah, so that first three miles, I was like, "Well, shit, this sucks." Like, I'm, I'm, you're, I'm regretting signing up for this, and I never thought, "Okay, I'm going to quit." Like that never or, crossed my mind. Um, but you start to realize how, like, it's like you're, it's real when you're when you're climbing and you're not used to climbing, and you know, out there the dust is so thin because it was so dry. Everyone's kicking up dust, so I had like a so you're just breathing this in for the whole beginning of the race because it is packed. It's like you're trying to walk around people. Everyone's going at the different paces. And then in section two, I believe, there's this really long climb and we're getting up this thing. This guy this guy stops off to the side. And he, we're, we're like, hey, man, you okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Uh, like, uh, I'll catch up. And like, and then like, 20 feet later, I just hear him like projectile vomiting behind you. Like, and you're like 20 miles in at this point, and it's hot. Uh, and then the first night, 
Actually, no, no. I would say going, having to go down with the section they call power pull, that was another eye-opening experience. You stand at the top. Yeah, you stand at the top of this hill, and you're like, you're looking around, and you're like, the trail says you're supposed to go somewhere. And you stay, we're standing there, the sun just came up. I'm looking. I don't see any markers or anything. This guy comes up behind us and goes down what looks like a completely vertical drop. He just starts going down that way. And I'm like, that can't be it. So you take, you take this hard right down and it is, I had never gone down a hill this steep. So I'm trying to do a slow descent. I fall like three times in the first 10 feet. The third time I landed on my trekking pole and snapped it. Mm. So learned trial by fire, how to go down hills. You cannot take that one slow. You kind of have to do what's, what's called controlled falling. And you just kind of let yourself go and catch yourself. Um, like you cannot walk it. You have to kind of run it. And it took me about half a mile doing that to figure that out. And then it's probably more brutals after that is you hit road. And one of the things, I don't know how many people that, do only trail ultras know this but when you go from trail to road it is ridiculously painful on your feet but then from once we hit that next aid station i kind of limped on after that like i knew i was in trouble like my pace slowed down now were you guys together at this point yeah we stuck together for that whole first one though he looking back on it he should have gone ahead I mean, I, I guess I was a little different. I never, I never thought that I wasn't going to make it until I actually couldn't anymore. And even then, like mentally, I like could still keep going. Like, yeah, it hurt me. Like uh, one of the sections, I stuck with them, which now we don't do that because what you don't realize is when you, if your goal is to stick with somebody and they can't move at a pace that's comfortable for you to move at it's actually like makes it worse for you like you you're putting more time on your feet you're actually putting in i i think you you end up putting in more effort to go that slow instead of walking at just a natural pace or cadence so nowadays we don't we won't do that like if he's struggling he will like it's just accepted because neither one of us want to ruin the other one's race. The section I DNF'd on, I didn't, I'm, I'm an asthmatic, but I didn't all that dust or whatever that was kicked up. Like I couldn't breathe. And then we were at altitude. And my quads were just setting in. So I get to, I don't even know the name of the aid station, but I, I remember it was at mile 120. My crew member, he wasn't even pacing, like met me, like about a mile out to like walk me into the aid station and he kept pissing me off because he's like yeah it's just around this turn right here just around this turn right here yeah, 200 meters like it was 200 meters. yeah 200 meters and like <laughs> my my quads hurt so much going downhill and everything i get to the aid station and the nurse is there they're they're like yeah all right i'm like yeah i'm struggling to breathe i, I don't have my rescue inhaler i like i just i don't know why i didn't bring it i I hadn't had any asthma issues for years though. So I didn't think it was a thing. So my blood oxygen was like in the mid eighties or so, which uh, I'm told is very bad. Um, I don't know a doctor. 
So uh, she was practically begging me not to go out. She's like, I have a kid with asthma. If it was my kid, I wouldn't let him go out, but we're not allowed to de- We can't pull you for that. Well, um, at the same then, time, that was where we crossed, where I was, I started moving better than him just because he couldn't breathe. Like, so I made it to the aid state, that aid station before him. Yeah. So I, yeah, I had 10 minutes to get in and get out. And then I sat down for a second and my legs, I couldn't stand back up again. And that's, that's the first time I realized that this was over for me. And, you know, you sit there and you kind of reflect on, you know, you spent a whole year and you ugly man cry a little bit there. And your friend has to like, it's even more embarrassing because you can't stand up and your friend has to kind of carry you to the cot where you're like, and then there's all these like volunteers around because you're the last person in the aid station. You're like trying to choke it down, but it's, you can't because you haven't really slept. And so, uh, yeah, that was the, Oddly enough, that was the only time during that whole ordeal that I was like, I'm, that's it. I, I, I mentally, I wanted to keep going, but I couldn't stand up anymore. I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. So, so my moment like that came <laughs> in the, the section right after that. I left, after I left him, I'm climb like again, starts with the climb. It's going slow. My legs are, my legs and hips are, are, done still moving sweepers come up on me they come up they're like hey uh you doing all right you're kind of behind pace and i'm like yeah yeah i'm good like you sure he's like you might want to consider calling and i just like yelled no and started like what i considered running at the time down the trail and then like i ran out of gas in five minutes so i had to sit on 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 a boulder five minutes later they come walking up again and they go, hey, are you, you sure you don't want to call it? Like, you know, like uh, at your current pace, you're gonna get there three hours after cutoff. And I had to sit there and have the realization that my race was over. Like I, I couldn't move any faster. They took me to to an aid station. Um, they had to help lift me out of the car because my legs just gave up. I couldn't really stand up or walk. I was in a lot of pain. Like I found out I had to go to the hospital later. I found out I had early stages of rhabdomyolysis. At the time, it seemed like I was milking it. Like you're, you're laying on a cot and you're, you're like complaining about how bad your legs are, but you're at race start slash finish. So there are people sitting there that had done 200 miles and I had done 127 and I'm sitting there whining about how bad my legs hurt. And then like somebody's dog jumped up on me. Oh, it was so much pain. So... <laughs> Obviously, not the end that you guys wanted, but gosh, talk about, I mean, so you both made it to the 120 and then uh, it was like 127, right? Yeah. So what would you say in that first one? Because we're going to, now we're going to move forward because you guys repeated that race, right? So you went to conquer. It didn't quite work out the way you hoped, but what would you say was the main thing you learned in that 2018 outing? The thing I learned a lot is there's no such thing as getting too much time on your feet from the moment I wake up in the morning, I'm standing, I have a standing desk. I stand at my desk all day. I don't, I don't use any of those like anti-fatigue mats because what's the point of having it? Your goal is to adapt to that fatigue. You wake up early to get your run in before work. You don't really sit down. You go shower, you go to work, you stand at work all day. You go on a couple of walks, two or three 
30 minute walks, you know, and if you do that, you're already at like 12 ish miles for the day. Yeah. Then you're doing another four to six miles at the end, but now you're at 18 miles for the day and you've stood all day. And in that regard, when you put it, when you break it down like that, that's that you put in an 18 mile training day every single day, at least during the week. And so was that the, because in the email I said, okay, for the Tahoe 2019, which was the second attempt, right? Said worked harder to get ready for that race than I've ever worked to get ready for something in my entire life. And is that really the breakdown of what you were just talking about there? Is that, was that the main difference is just time on feet, that kind of movement, or was there something else? Well, that there was that? not only that we were running, we were doing a lot of stairs, sled drags. The coach we had for the second one, he had us doing like weighted rocks on the beach. Like we didn't do a few of those and we're like, on on Wednesdays, it would be like every other week you'd alternate between doing a two hour run or you would do a four hour rock. Now there were days where we were covering, you know, 25 to 35 miles just on a Wednesday. By the end of it, we were covering like 120 miles a week. Yeah, we heard some like arbitrary number. I don't remember where, but I think going into the second one, that if you could cover 100 or 120 miles in a week, you could do a 200. So that's kind of what we would end up shooting for. Plus, like I said, standing all day. That That's the part that I think people overlook a lot is when you do these races, yeah, you're running, yeah, you're, but you have to be on your feet the entire time. Like your legs have to be used to being on your feet. And so, and I know you said that's what y'all did and not everybody has to do that. And I agree, like everybody's going to kind of come with their own individualized plan. But the perspective that I think is important here is that y'all DNF 2018, you committed to saying, you know, I I got a little shocked by what this was going to be like, but I really want to now do this. And I'm going to put in whatever work I feel like I need to do and remove any kind of excuses for myself that I didn't do enough. And so it, it may be different than what others would do, but for yourselves, this is what you chose to do. And I think it's a good perspective for people who are listening to say, are you willing to put in whatever level of work to finish this? And that's kind of what you guys did. Yeah. To me, it fills the gap, right? So we started the show by saying, mm-hmm. Hey, here's guys that are doing 200 mile races, but haven't raced more than five K now a 10 K. Cause we know that you guys have, have run a 10 K and we joked before, right? Ran a five K DNF doubled it you know, to go into the second race, but 120 miles on feet in a week, like the majority of runners are coming close to that. And so it's the illustration there is that it's, even though it's a little bit different than what we typically think of for running, like the work is there. It's not that you guys went from couch to 200 miles, like you were putting in the work. It just wasn't going out and consecutively running for 80, 90, a hundred miles. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't describe like how it felt to fail. And then like, just that like looming thing of there's this thing out there that I worked really hard on and just couldn't do. I was like fully prepared to go out there and be in even worse shape just to finish the race. Like I said, I haven't trained that hard for anything yet. I don't know if mentally I could train that hard for something again. Um, him and I had conversations going into it. It's like, if we don't finish, I can't attempt this again. It's like, 
because at this point it was two years in the making and the second time like that was everything like and i it, for people that have really ever fully put everything they thought they had into something and then it wasn't enough like they'll know that feeling about like it eats you up that you didn't you didn't complete it i mean wasn't even shooting a win i just wanted to cross the finish line you know i wouldn't have cared if i got dfl you know i just wanted to cross the finish line so cannot even be able to get that and knowing other people do it like you couldn't figure out how to get it done that just eats at you and i mean maybe it doesn't for some people but i couldn't i couldn't just sit there and leave that unfinished or at least not even try again so knowing that right all the work you guys just talked about the feeling of like hey this is do or die right we're going back in take us to the moment and, and it's funny because we were talking about this right like i think a lot of times we picture crossing the finish line is like oh that's the moment but the truth is a lot of times it's on the course or there's something where you realize like hey this is actually about to happen or this is going to happen what was the moment in that race where you were like oh my gosh it's paying off we're gonna cross the finish line like tell me about that and where was it oh i'll go first so i knew that we had a really really good shot of finishing the race when we got to mile 102 or something so we were halfway in the first 32 hours of the second attempt so in my head i'm like well, we just did the first 132 hours, so I got 68 hours to go another 102 miles. I have to only average less than two miles an hour. I'm in, I'm in a really good spot here. I'll crawl the next 100 if I have to. And, like, that's just how it sort of went. Like, we ended up, like, resting more at certain aid stations. and But that was kind of the first time in that race where I – I started counting down like, okay, well, we only have this far left and we still have this amount of time. And then next thing you know, we're at the last aid station. We have 10 hours to go 10 miles. Paul, could you believe it? Could you believe you were going to finish? No, it seemed surreal. And that was the first race we really had pacers. So we had both of our pacers like joined us in the last section and were there the whole, like the whole time. And so, I've heard of people like, I don't know why some people do this. They'll like tell their pacers they don't want them on the course for the last section. So that way when they cross, they, they're, they have their own pictures or whatever. But for me, like those people are there busting their ass to get me across the finish line. I don't, I want them in the photos. They're part of it. Like, um, but yeah, to have them there too. And then just you work that hard for two years and you finally like, cross the finish line something that you you hoped you'd be able to do but weren't like again you're not sure even going into it all that time and effort it just you cross the finish line and you just all that like it takes like two or three minutes for it to set in and then you just start bawling like for a solid like few minutes and then and of course you that's what of... you want to take your photo your finisher photo yeah like, can we take your we take your finisher photo you're like, like can you wait till i can actually little... hold this down for a second <laughs> yeah, i don't want my picture taken right now <laughs> yeah when i uh for me it was 
when we got to the top of that hill and we first started those switchbacks and was like, Oh, I remember this part from earlier. And it was, it was like this slight flat part before you get to the real downhills. And I just remember on that, like I was moving a little better than him. So I kind of walked a little bit ahead, like maybe 50 feet. Now I just started, I, I, cu- I couldn't hold it in. Like I started like happy crying because in my head, it was like, I realized that this is it. Like I have, six hours to go maybe three miles like like i could roll down this hill and make it down to the bottom like and my pacer comes up and asked me if i was okay and i was like no no i'm not okay i'm gonna be i'll I'll be fine but like i just i just remember saying i just remember saying uh saying i did it like i'm going to finish so you've kind of touched on this a little bit that You've mentioned that you guys split up a little bit. You allow the um, each other to go at different paces, depending on how you feel. Um, one may be moving forward and the other may be slowing down, and you don't allow that to impact the other person. But in three of the four races that you did complete, you've done Tahoe 219 in 2019. You've done Bigfoot 200 this year. You did the Moab 240 in 2021, and you did Cocodona 250 in 2022. In three of those four, you all you both finished at the, uh, basically the exact same time. It was off by like two seconds. And so you do end up coming back together um, for the finish, um, which is kind of cool. And it's one of the things that we noticed about your times and stuff. But Moab 240, and you have a lot of stories that took place in Moab 240 um, when you yeah. start about it. Um, it's a fantastic experience, I think, for both of you. You both kind of went through different things. Um, there was a difference in time. This is the only time that that one of you finished significantly further ahead of the other. Hours. <coughs> and so just for those listening, yeah. So in 2021, uh, Matt and Paul ran the Moab 240. Uh, Paul finished um, in 103 hours and nine minutes and 24 seconds. Matt rolled in at 112 hours, 59 minutes and 52 seconds, which is eight seconds before the cutoff of the entire race before it ended. So he did finish on, on time. Eight seconds. It's tight. It was real tight, but he finished and it's still a finish. It doesn't matter what you call it. It wasn't first, but it it was last, but it's okay. It's still a finish. Now, I don't know if it was last or not. There may have been somebody after you, but regardless of the fact you both did that. And again, it is the only race that you both finished that you finished in different times. So I know you've given each other permission to move forward at, at times and to kind of do your own thing, but mentally and emotionally what was it like to realize we're not going to come back together in this do you want to take turns with this matt or do you want me to tell my story and then well, you can paul, tell yours actually, i'm gonna have paul tell this story first only because paul you flew through it you kept moving ahead which means you left your brother behind you which is a different decision than than knowing because you're not knowing how he's going to do so we did this climb called Shea mountain and uh I was having some sort of issue. I kept um, up at the beginning of that section. And then- yeah, but we kept stopping. And I like I. It's not like a great thing about myself, but I get kind of anal about like when I think we should be rolling out of an aid station or when we should be doing this or like if I feel like we're wasting a lot of time. So like, like it was better for everybody that I just you know instead of trying to rush him through whatever he needed to do that I just move ahead so i moved ahead on that section and i actually felt really good like i was surprised like i felt really good on that section i finished i met our crew down at the aid station 
my pacer comes up to me. He's like, dude, take off. It's still your race too. And like, I, so I, I kept going through that next 15 miles and one of the only parts of the course I had cell service. So I started calling, like I called my mom. I called like, like a couple other people. It's like, what do I do in this situation? Like he's struggling. I'm moving really well. Like, cause I felt bad cause we usually always stick together. And I was like, what, what do I do? And some people were like, well, you train for this together. You go in it together you, you or you fail together. I was like, and I guess maybe that's, that's part of the thing about, you know, being twins that do this is like people forget the fact that you you're an individual and you've trained and you want to finish like you, we both put in all this effort, but like, I still want to finish even if and they don't give you like, I can't. Yeah. They, yeah. They don't give you a two for one on all those races. So, um, again, I get to the next aid station. I go to lay down in the car. I, I didn't want to sleep more than two hours. Next thing I know, four hours had gone by and they finally wake me up. I'm like, kind of pissed off and they're like, all right, well, Matt has to get all the stuff done. So you're going to go ahead and like, we'll figure out the rest, but like you're on your own for the rest of this race. So then at like, that was at like mile 170 something. So then that was kind of the end. It was kind of interesting. Um, I love finishing the races with them because we train all this time together and it's a huge accomplishment for both of us. But at the same time, it was kind of nice, like to sort of, go at my own pace and do my own race or like when I, I didn't wait, have to wait around or anything, or he didn't have to wait around for me or like nobody was holding me up, but me at that point. So I will say this, it was probably out of all the finishes I've had, probably the loneliest finish I ever had. It was tough for the crew because we had one vehicle. So they're trying to negotiate getting the car to him. So that like, so I finished and I'm like standing there, I'm like, I'm here by myself and I finished. <laughs> I like felt so bad when the race staff comes over. It's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah. yeah. And she's like, you want to sit down? Yeah. <laughs> she like brings me over to a tent, sits me down. And it's like at the destination trail race, it's like the best thing that you'll ever eat is at the end you finish. It's the only aid station they do this. They make they make pizzas. And it's not it's not the best pizza ever, but it may be the best pizza you ever eat. She's like, you want a pizza? I'm like, yeah. And, uh, and then I, I asked also if somebody could come take a look at my feet. It was funny because, I mean, Matt hasn't told his story, but the woman who ended up working on my feet was the woman at the aid station that Matt ends up going to see. So when she looks at my feet, she goes, your brother probably had the worst feet I've ever seen. I go, worst you've seen so far. <laughs> <laughs> But, but were yours yeah. worse or no? Oh yeah, the, you saw the pictures. Yeah, they were bad. <laughs> yeah, they were bad. But Matt had no skin. Yeah, Matt got we his skin. Had almost lost some toes, right? <laughs> Which we're about to hear about. All right, I'm up. So first, uh, first day of Moab, like we're moving, we're moving really well. But my shin started hurting, like the front of my shins. Like I'd never had issues like that in training or really since so i'm like day two rolls around i'm like ah oh, man this is i can't like flex my foot so i'm having trouble pushing off so i'm like i gotta do something to stabilize my foot so i'm not extending it so i was like you know what 
I took sports medicine in high school. Like I learned a rap they do on basketball players, right? To stabilize their ankle and their shin and stuff. So I start doing a rap from my mid calf down to middle of my foot. Like you've probably seen people do this rap before it's to, it's to stabilize the ankle, but you're not supposed to do it with Luco tape. Just FYI, um, Luco tape does not expand. And when you're on the trail and you're, you're going to be out there for days, not hours, your feet try to swell up. So I wrapped everything. When everything was wrapped, I looked like my, from my shin down to about my toes looked like a mummy, but it kept me going. Um, but I was still moving at like two and a half miles an hour, uh, even just hobbling. I'm worried I got shin splints and all this other stuff. So that's why I'm, I'm refusing to go to medical. We get to mile 172, 178. And the woman that Paul called on the phone, her name's Jennifer E. Rath. For most of our races, she's like our crew chief. Like, like we trust her with like making sure the pacers are good and like handling logistics and stuff. I'm not listening to anybody at this point. I'm just like, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get this done. Like, we're not stopping. Like, I'm not going to medical because they'll pull me. And I, I refuse to get pulled on, on, on the course. Like, if anyone's going to DNF, it's going to be me. Like, I'm not letting somebody else do it. So she goes, hey, um, your feet look pretty bad. Like, you know, the tape job and stuff. She's like, you you should probably go to medical. I'm like, I'm not going to medical. And I'm like, if you want me to go to medical, you, you go to, you go to the tent, you have them come over here. Right. I'm like, cause I just got in the aid station. I'm like, my feet hurt. I'm not getting up. I'm sitting on the back of the car we rented. I'm just like, no. So, so she actually goes to the tent and she's like, can you come take a look at my runner? He just got in his feet are in bad shape or whatever. So she comes up, I have one shoe off and she's looking and she goes, you got to come over to medical. Cause me and the other nurse, We've got to get this tape off you. It's going to take a while and you have to. So I'm like, all right, fine. So we go over there and they're like, so did you put anything under this tape? And I'm like, no, this is casting tape. It is extremely sticky. So it's been on there for two days now. So my pacer comes in, John Bragg, and he goes, Hey man, how far are you willing to go? And I said, I will do whatever it takes to finish aside from permanent loss of limb or injury. He goes, okay, I just wanted to know. So he, Breck did not leave the tent. Like he grabbed a chair and sat outside and watched as they were peeling layers of skin off with the tape. And like the only thing I asked for was like a, like a towel or something bite down on because that shit hurt like hell. They get the, the bandages off. I was a little nervous because my two big toes were like ghost white. Like literally, I was like, I might lose two toes in this just because I didn't know. And I was there for, I was in medical for six hours. Wow. But yeah, so they, they get my feet looking pretty, almost new. They use good tape and being next to the fire in the tent, like the color came back pretty decently. Like part of the reason was it was freezing cold out. That's why my feet were so pale. So then 
after that, I, I got up, I walked to the bathroom. I, I was the only ta- aid station. I was lucky enough to catch breakfast, which that is always the best meal at the aid station. Some pancakes, like potatoes, bacon, eggs, and then you just dump maple syrup on it. I was When my crew rolled up, I had two plates full of their shit. I'm like, you got to get some of this before we set off. So we set off, and uh, my buddy Breck, who he's even less of a runner than all and I, like he just came out to help. He was going to pace like 30 miles. He ended up, because we had to separate, he ended up pacing me 70 miles. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm like, he didn't sleep for two days. And my crew pulled up at one point, like as I was like a mile out, and he was so exhausted. I'm like, Breck, you can hop in the car. He's like, no, nah, man, I got you. I'm here to the, I'm here to the end. And I was like, Breck, I appreciate everything you've done for me, but you're good, man. I, I got it from here. He's like, all right. He gets, I didn't even get to say goodbye because he was so out of it. He just darts over to the car and jumps into the back where we like had uh we had like a bed set up in the back of the car. And he just, I just watched him climb in the trunk and get in there and immediately fall asleep. <laughs> but from after that, it was pretty smooth sailing to the last section. And by then, like, my feet hurt so bad. My shins were still screwed and we had slowed down to a halt. And my pacer just goes, Hey, if you want that belt buckle, we got to move. And then I just remember I put my head down. Um, I started focusing like only on my breathing. And then next thing I know, like four hours has gone by. And I really still to this day do not remember any of that. My page said I went on autopilot and then I wasn't there for four hours. Um, a long time to not be there. I've never blacked out in my life before that. Still haven't blacked out since. So it was, it's not, it's not ideal. Um, <laughs> it's very difficult in the dark on that last section. You get on this cliff side and then you have to work your way down. Like you have to step down and she's worrying about like if I'm going to fall off the cliff, she's trying to get us down, but it's hard to figure out where to go. So we're still not really sure where we're going. And we get to this corner and I look and leaning up against the rock is nurse Jenny. One of the two nurses that saved my feet. She ran out from race finish because everyone at race finish could see we were lost like we were just going back and forth on this ridge trying to figure out how to get down so she came out to help guide us into the aid station if she doesn't show up right at that moment like obviously if i waited like like 10 seconds more we don't finish so she showed up and like my mental state came back it was like i i just snapped back to it we get down to the road the last four miles our road and to me i'm like we i'm exhausted my legs don't really work my feet don't work and we're running and i'm getting annoyed because nobody will tell me how far it is to the aid station they're just like oh it's right around that corner they're pulling one of those that's right around that corner thing and so i feel like we're running like eight minute miles which is that's extremely fast for me even normally but it felt like i was sprinting nurse jenny's like whatever you do don't stop i said I, i'm gonna throw up like I, I think I'm gonna throw up. She's like, you could throw up, just don't stop. I was like, no, I was gonna throw up all myself. <laughs> so we get down, and all of a sudden, we're coming down this hill, and 
my vision starts going like this, like a little circle. It's closing in. And I'm just like, shit. You you know, at the end of races, they always do that like bridge thing like that. They didn't do, they didn't have time to do that. <laughs> like you, 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 like I ran across the finish line. I get there. They're like, what's his number? I don't even hear them. I'm just like, oh my God, I'm done. I like take two, three steps to my right just to get out of the way of the finish line. And I just collapsed, like I passed out. And I remember feeling Nurse Jenny trying to catch me to make sure I didn't just flat out fall into the ground. But she was like maybe 130 pounds, like soaking wet up between my bag and and myself, I'm like 190. So it's like she just slowed my my collapse. And she's just checking to make sure I'm alive. <laughs> you know, checking my pulse and trying to make sure I'm like on my side in case I throw up and stuff like that. That was literally everything I had. It's crazy. We you sent us a video of that finish. So one to eight seconds. Right? You literally had eight seconds left in the race. We were talking before, like I think. If you set out at the beginning and said, try to time it. I mean, if you said try to time it within 10 minutes, eight seconds is pretty unreal over what? 112 hours. So 113 hours. Yeah, so 113 is yeah. cut off and you make it by eight seconds. But to your point, you cross the finish line and it's kind of a stumble to the right and out. So it's one of the, probably one of the most epic finishes. <laughs> when people say I get, I gave it my all. I think a lot of times that's just, Oh, that's easy to say. That would be all. That was all. Dude, that's a that's incredible. It was kind of just it's just surreal to finish with that little like it sucks to push it to that to the end, but it would have sucked to cross and not like and to have been late. I can only imagine. So obviously that's a pretty epic finish to a pretty epic race. You guys went on to also run, we mentioned already, but you've run the Kokodono 250, the Bigfoot 200. So now you've done essentially all the destination trail races plus the Kokodono. Uh, I'm, I'm interested. So just quick answer, but for each of you, if you had, if you could only do one again out of those four races, we know you got other plans, but if you could only do one, what do you pick? Tahoe. Uh, Tahoe? Yeah, same for me. Okay. Well, I think the big takeaway from tonight, hopefully for everybody listening, is that it's doable, right? You guys have taken, I would call, kind of an unorthodox approach, but you were crushing 200 milers. And so we, we talked about the races that you've done, but in 2025, so not next year, but the year after, you're looking at taking on the Triple Crown. So you've done them all, but you're looking at doing the destination trail races in the same year, which is quite a feat. So it's we're looking- cool. Yeah, we're looking forward to following that. We'll make sure, too, that we put your Instagrams. Is that the best place for people if they want to reach out or pick your brain or just follow your journey? Is Instagram the best place to reach out to you guys? Yeah, yeah, I would say that's probably the best. Yeah, probably. You messed me on Facebook. I'm probably going to think you're not real. Fair enough. So we'll, we'll put that in the notes um, because this is, uh, you know, I'm sure people are going to want to follow along after listening to this. But for our listeners, again, we just want to thank you so much for taking the time. We hope that you got the motivation. I hope that this was eye-opening in terms of what we're able to accomplish because you guys are really ambassadors of like, hey, it's going to take a whole lot of work as you found out in 2018, but 
if you put the work into it, it can be done. So for all the listeners, thank you so much. We appreciate you. And uh, you guys just thank you so much for your time tonight, both of you. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. We will talk soon and cut. Cut. Kick it off. Gosh, I'm nervous. I'm not. All right, here we go. Figured if I went into the Tahoe the first time with only 5K, if I did a 10K before it, that was double the distance. Double the training. That makes sense. That's logic. Most people try and do like a 50K or 50 miles, not a 5K or 10K to get to that point. We're going to have to repeat some of this in the show because it's really good. I need to take a potty break. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Give Uh, me one minute. Yeah. Yeah, Whenever you guys want us to drop, you just let us. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm just going to close my laptop. Yeah, just see you guys. Have a good night. Good talk. Good talk. Good talk. Good talk. There's nothing wrong with doing 600 milligrams ibuprofen every six hours. (laughs) We're just having It's on the bottle. It's on the (laughs) bottle. It's on the bottle. I I take as recommended. Just hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. We'll leave it at that. You know, one of the risk factors for developing rhabdo is ibuprofen, right? I wouldn't well, take we didn't any. take any, so. <laughs> and I was no, because I wanted to. I wanted to. I'm like, dude, I, I I need to take down some of this inflammation. He goes, well, let's get Tylenol. I'm like, Tylenol doesn't do that. We need ibuprofen. He goes, no, they're the same thing. It was recording. It's always watching. All right, listen, thank you so much. We recognize the fact that you are probably just hanging on just for a couple more minutes as you're finishing up your run. But really, we do want to give you a huge thank you for the constant support that you've shown us. We hear you and we feel you. And the best way for us to continue to grow is for you to share us with your friends. Tell them what you put in your ears when you're out there on a long run. Hit the like button, leave us a comment, um, leave a review and give us some direct feedback on what you like about the show and also what you don't like. We're here to improve and do it for you. And it really means the world. And listen, if you would like to support financially, you can connect with us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the ultra running guys, or you can use the support link in the show notes. Any and all support goes directly back into growing the show and helping us get better at what we love to do, which is to serve all of you. And with that, finish up that run, get cleaned up and just show up clean, clean.